0: There's a light on. There we go. Okay. Thank you. I apologize. See, I'm, I'm gone. I met uh, a young man from the church here on campus, and he was shocked to see me. It looked like he said, what? Dr. Betts, what are you doing here? He said, I thought you were on vacation. And um, No, I haven't been on vacation, but uh, no, that's what seminary professors do. I just got back from the Bahamas. We're headed to uh, Mexico next week and every weekend that's what we do. No, uh, I've been preaching elsewhere and it is a joy to get to be back with you and um, I'm so pleased with uh, what God is doing in this church and have been praying for you and will continue to do so and it's just a joy to be with you. This morning we're, we are looking at Nehemiah chapter 7. It, is, uh, it, it brings back memories to me. I, I wrote a book that is really a a help, hopefully, to pastors and teachers um, in teaching and preaching uh, the book of Nehemiah. And when I told a friend of mine that I was doing that, he said, what are you going to do with chapter 7? There's nothing that is worthwhile for teaching and preaching in chapter 7. And uh, if you look at chapter 7, you will see that there are lots and lots and lots of names. In fact, I asked Hunter if he would be willing to read this whole <laughs> chapter for us, and he declined. And so uh, I was really uh, deeply hurt um, by that. But, um, but as, as I think about this chapter, it, it, we will approach it a little differently than what we normally would, but I do believe what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, that all Scripture is profitable. It's profitable, it's inspired, but it's also profitable for teaching and, and correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. And I believe that even about Nehemiah chapter 7. And so this morning, what I would like us to do is just really make some observations, um, especially about Nehemiah and what he does as a, as a minister and uh, what we can learn from that. And the the structure of the passage really is set up really simply in verses 1 through 3, we see the steps and precautions that Nehemiah took to ensure the right kind of leadership and the safety of Jerusalem. And then the last part, verses 4 through 773, shows how Nehemiah methodically set out to strengthen Jerusalem's population by taking a census Of the returnees and so now that the wall has been completed and we saw this in in chapter 6 and everything is done as far as the the building work of the actual wall the text now describes the steps that Nehemiah took to strengthen the city to strengthen the population to build the infrastructure of the city so that it would be honoring to God And it reveals character traits of Nehemiah that I think allowed him to be successful in doing the work that God called him to do. And so this morning, I'd really like to look at two things. One is the qualities of Nehemiah's character, and secondly, the priorities of Nehemiah's calling. And so let's read verse 1. And uh, we'll start with verses one through three. Now, when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. One of the things I think as we look at uh, Nehemiah's qualities that comes out, it comes out in this chapter, it's come out all through this book, is the word prudence. And we see that he was a prudent man. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, prudence is the ability to govern and discipline oneself by the use of reason. It is shrewdness in the management of affairs. It is skill and good judgment in the use of resources and caution or circumspection as to danger or risk. I think that as I read the scriptures that arguably there's no one more prudent in the Scriptures except for the Lord Jesus Christ himself than what Nehemiah was in his ministry to the people of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah realized that the enemies had been attacking. We've looked at this in our study, and and they were continuous in these attacks. And the last word we got in chapter 6 after the work had been completed was a, a word of enemies trying to dissuade Nehemiah from continuing to lead the people in Jerusalem. And so he was very much aware that the enemy was not going to give up. And so because of this, he had very much on his mind, how can I set up the infrastructure of Jerusalem so that the people of God will be safe from our enemies. And this is very much an important aspect of leadership for the people of God. He had every reason to believe this because this is what they had been doing all the time he had been there. And he was concerned for their safety. This is the priority. When we look at the church, we need to understand that there is a spiritual war going on and that there are enemies, enemies under This world system controlled by the prince and power of the air who would destroy the church if possible and do everything it can to do that. And this can happen anywhere. I was just reminded of this even this morning. I was thinking about other churches, but this came to mind in my own background when my bro- uh, my father, rather, graduated from seminary, um, I was one years old. I was a product of uh, what um, he took away from seminary. I was one of them. And um, we went to Cleveland, Ohio, and he began a work there, and he had wanted to. He believed the Lord had called him to be a church planter, but um, it worked out that the Lord called him to a church, and they were running probably about 170. Five, I think it was 174 actually was the average in Sunday school when he went there. And uh, by the time we left, the church, I don't know what it was averaging in Sunday school. It was very strong, though, but the church was averaging in worship something like anywhere between 700 and 900 people. The Lord had given it great growth. In that time, he had had the opportunity through our church to start 13 other churches in the Cleveland Municipal area, and uh, the Lord actually, I I talked to him about this years later, and he said my heart was to start a church, and he said I had no idea that the Lord had would give me the opportunity to start a number of churches from one church, and uh, it, it was just a wonderful time. I have the greatest memories. I was just thinking recently of God's blessing in my life. I just take time sometimes to just thank the Lord and. What are some of the fondest things I remember? And what came to my mind, and I was kind of surprised, was several memories in that church as a boy. That's where I came to Christ as my Lord and Savior and was baptized, and, and so many wonderful things in those first years of my life that God blessed me with. But I moved forward um, a few years ago. Uh, I, I write for Explore the Bible with LifeWay, their Sunday School material, and Someone out of that church had seen my writing in their Sunday school class, and they contacted me. And they were the, the age, um, this lady was the age of my older brother. So I did not know her, um, but she knew me and knew my brother really well and my parents. But um, I wrote back and I said, you know what? I've been thinking about going back up to Cleveland and visiting the church. And she wrote back and said, I suggest you don't. And she said, it's just not what you remember it being. And so I got online uh, to look up what was going on there. And actually, the church had come to the brink of death. And they had changed the name. The North American Mission Board has taken over. And it's like a new church plant, and they just have a handful of people. And it was amazing to me to look at this very large facility and all that I remember it being packed with people and just wonderful times of worship and, and things that, that God did. And to see about 10 to 15 people in this very huge auditorium, and this is what they were doing. And I, I pray for them, and I'm glad they're there and doing what they're doing. But I have to tell you, there's, there's a little sorrow as I think about what was and what is, because Somewhere along the way, I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the way, the enemy got a foothold in that church. And it is not what it was and not what it ought to be because of that. And I say this to say that we should all understand that there is a spiritual war going on. And we need to be ready, and we need to be prepared for that. And we need to be vigilant about these things in the church and recognize that those who are spiritual leaders especially need to be looking out for the spiritual welfare of the church. And that is a huge aspect of spiritual leadership. And this prudence was very much at the heart of Nehemiah as he led the people looking out for them. It is interesting as well, as you look in verse 1 here, it says that he set up the doors, and then the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. And they were appointed to actually guard the people. And it is interesting, we look at the gatekeepers and say, okay, that makes sense, they're gatekeepers, they stand watch at the gate. But what about the singers and the Levites, that they're appointed to look out for the people and watch out for their safety. And what we see here, one, is the gatekeepers, if you look in the Old Testament, they are always put in with the singers and the Levites as spiritual leaders among the people of God. Also, we see these spiritual leaders that we think of as the singers who led in worship, corporate worship, and then the Levites who participated in teaching the Word of God and helped with the the exposition of Scripture, and we will see this as we move on in, in Nehemiah, they were involved in the teaching of God's Word to the people, that these spiritual leaders were involved in guarding the people. And it is something that we can take, I think, two ways. One thing is this, that those who have been entrusted with spiritual care of the people of God are also entrusted with looking out for their physical safety and understanding that as we look at the scriptures, God cares about his children completely. He cares about you spiritually, but he cares about you physically. He cares about your day-to-day needs. As well, And it is important for us to understand that we have a God who teaches us that when we give a cup of water and help someone in need who is thirsty, that ministry is unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so it is a priority to look out for the spiritual needs of the people, but also the physical needs of the people, and that both of these two go together and I think of Hebrews 13 17 obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will who will give an account and what we see here is Nehemiah he appointed spiritual leaders and we see this in verse 2 he says I put Hananiah my brother and Hananiah the commander of the fortress in charge of Jerusalem and he speaks of Hananiah And probably he doesn't mention Hananiah with this because it is his brother. And I'm sure he didn't want to show some kind of nepotism with this. Uh, it, It seems that way anyhow. But he does say this about Hananiah, the commander of the fortress. He was a faithful man and feared God more than many. This is a good Old Testament description of spiritual leadership for the people of God that people who are leaders in the church should be faithful. They have a background, they have a history of faithfulness, and they have this reputation of being faithful. And it is important to always hold up the quality that the scriptures speak of when it comes to leadership in the church. I have been in churches. I was a church planter. My my first church was a a very kind of a kind of a rebuild for a church that had had several troubles in the past. And what can happen is sometimes when when uh, there are less people, there is a tendency to say, "Well, we just want to put people in leadership, even though they are not scripturally qualified to be in leadership." And the church must guard against this. It must be people who are faithful and people who fear the Lord. And we can say among all of us, this person, like Hananiah was, this person fears the Lord. And we know this. He is a a man who is faithful. He is a man who has a reverence and all for God. He is a man who lives his life according to the way of the Lord. This is the kind of leadership that the people of God desperately needs and must hold up as it goes forth in the work that God has called it to do. And so this is what Nehemiah does. He's prudent in this. He watches out for the people, and he puts the right people into leadership, and uh, as as we think about this, notice as well, he says in verse three. Then I said to them, "Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors." Now, what is going on here? Um, this is where, if if I were going to take a vacation, I have gone on a mission trip in an area like this. Um, in their culture, they would take, of course. I, they 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 didn't have. I guess it would just be a time of shalom, of peace. Um, but what we would call it is a siesta, and that's what they had. They had in the heat of the day, we're shutting everything down. It's very hot, and we're going to shut everything down. We're going to go to our homes in the heat of the day. We're going to take a nap. We're going to cool off, and then we're going to come back and get to work. And I have been on um, a mission trip, uh, actually a couple mission trips where I've been in cultures that did that. And um, I didn't know what I thought about it, but I was there long enough to thought, this is okay, I could get used to this. Um, but, uh, and I, I don't like the heat very well anyhow, so I thought that was, was wonderful. But this is what he's doing, and he's saying here, when everyone goes back to their homes, make sure you shut the gates and protect the people. And there's something to this. There is rest with the people when those who are in responsibility are doing their job to protect the people and guard the people. And they can have their rest when they know that. Um, Something I have done that is really crazy since I have been with you the last few weeks is my wife and I got a, a, a puppy um, that's that's now 12 weeks old, was 10 weeks old. And she has rocked our world, I will tell you this. The, um, it, I, and I think, why did I do this? Well, the reason I did, this is terrible. You you know I do therapy work with um, these dogs at the L Hospital. And um, I'm kind of counting backwards. I don't know, uh, in 10 years I'll be 68. And I think, well, most of the dogs live to be about 10. So um, that'll be about retirement age. So I don't want to do it then, probably. So I'm counting backwards till the day I die, basically, is what I'm doing. Um, but I, I, I thought, now's the time. This is the last one I'm going to get. And um, I'm getting up in the middle of the night. Um, I get up at 2.30 and uh, throw some shoes on, and uh, I even keep my socks on. I keep everything, just throw the shoes on and go out, take her out. She does her business. We come back in. I'm laying there, 5.30, I hear again, her crate is right next to me, right here, and when we first got her, of course, she was really freaked out in a new location, and what I would do is I would put my hand down and let her touch me and feel me and know that I was with her, and now she just sleeps until it's time, and then she goes back to sleep, and it's wonderful, but um but that was a part of it, to, to, and, and is a part of, of caring for it. The issue is, as I think about this, she can sleep, and she has no idea that she's really safe, although she's learning this, because my hand is with her, and she senses that. And now she's got, she's slept this morning, she slept until it was actually time for us all to get up, and uh, that was a wonderful thing, believe me. You see, when people in leadership in the church look out for the needs of the people, the people may not even realize what's being done to look out for their needs because there's rest and there's the ability to be at peace because someone is watching out for the flock and looking out for the people of God. And this is how God has established it. And so, this is what we see first of all that he's he's concerned with. A, a second word here is the word perceptive, and we see this in verse four. He says um, here uh, he says that now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. Now you'll notice in the last part of verse three that he did appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. The only problem is there were not many houses and there weren't many people. So they had actually done the work of the wall and the city was ready to go, but there weren't any people there or very few people there. And so what he does is he begins to take a census. But before taking a census of the people that are there, he looks at the census of the people who had first come when they returned from exile. Because it was that way he could actually locate their families and see who are these families that have actually come and who are among us. And so what he does is he takes practical steps to revitalize the city of Jerusalem. Let's get this straight. What was Nehemiah's reason for coming to Jerusalem? It was to remove the reproach that had come upon the people of God and therefore glorify God by the people of God and through the people of God. And that close relationship between the people of God and God himself that Nehemiah knew That to, To remove the reproach that the people of God had upon them was to bring glory to God as it is the people of God that Nehemiah was serving. And so this is what he was about. And so he sets out to revitalize the city. It wasn't all about a wall. It was to bring life to the people of God where there was near death. It was to do what God means for his people to do, to shine forth and be a light to the nations and not a reproach to the nations. And so he was really building the wall, was just setting up the first stage of the work that needed to be done. But the real work is now beginning with the people of God themselves and leading them to be the people of God that God had called them to be. And to bring the people into the city, this was going to be a necessary step for him to see, well, who are the people in the land in the first place? And so what we see here, another word is that Nehemiah was pliable. Look at verse 5. Then my God put in my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of genealogy of those who came up first, in which I found the following record. I think it's interesting again, Nehemiah says, then my God put it into my heart. This is typical of Nehemiah. The word pliable means yielding readily to others. You know who Nehemiah yielded readily to? The Lord. Whatever the Lord called Nehemiah to do, he was ready to do it. He was ready to act on it, whatever God called him to do. And as we think about this, what God had put into his heart was in line with the word of God. And it always will be. God will never call us to do something or tell us to do something that's contrary to his word. It is through his word he speaks to us. And we see this. And there are several passages in the scripture, but I'll, I'll, I'll share one with you. Psalm 132, verses 12 through 16 It says, for the Lord has chosen Zion, which is Jerusalem. He has desired it for his dwelling. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have chosen it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her godly ones shall shout for joy. It is no wonder that Nehemiah was ready to to follow the Lord and do what God called him to do in caring for the people of Judah and Jerusalem in particular because Jerusalem, Zion, was at the heart of God and it was for his people and it was the place he made his manifest presence known to his people. And we should learn something from this. We should learn something from Nehemiah here and that is That what is important to God should be important to us. What God loves is what we should love. And I think about this in a New Testament concept. The scripture says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know what that means? That means, as the people of God, we love the people of God, that we are committed to the church. We are committed to the church because Christ is committed to the church. We are committed to the church because the church is in Christ and we are committed to Christ. And so if we're committed to Christ, we are committed to everything that is in Christ and that is the church. You cannot love Christ and hate his church. You cannot love Christ and ignore his church. And so as we look at Nehemiah, he has this heart for the people of God because that is the heart of God himself, that God's heart is for his people. And so when a person loves the Lord and has the heart of God, they will have a heart for the people of God. There will be a commitment to the people of God and a commitment to the purposes of the people of God to carry out the Great Commission and to make disciples and to grow in the likeness of Christ and be a light in this very dark world. That is what God has called us to. And if you don't have a love for the church, I encourage you to repent. Repent of your sin against the Lord and his body, the church. And ask God to give you a love for his people. Have, As we've gone through this study, have the people of God really treated Nehemiah all that great? They've treated him pretty badly. And believe it or not, we haven't even seen the worst of it yet. And yet, we see his commitment to the people of God because of his commitment to God. And people do things. Things happen in the church. Things happen in family. And what we need to understand is our commitment to one another is because of our commitment to Christ. And by the way, Christ is committed to you personally if you're his child. And don't tell me you haven't done some things and haven't said some things that maybe just we're not honoring to him. And yet he has, be, he has always been faithful to you. Therefore, those of us who have received mercy, those of us who have received grace, we must extend that to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we must have this pliable heart that is ready to serve the church and the people of God because what is on the heart of God should be in our hearts as well. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. He acted upon what God put in his heart. He's also predictable. I love this about Nehemiah. When he says here in verse five, then my God put it into my heart to assemble in the nobles. I didn't even have to read the rest. And you don't either. If you've gotten to know Nehemiah, you know, he's going to do what God has told him to do. Whatever God has put in his heart, he's going to do it. He's so predictable in his obedience. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And the question is, as the people of God, can that be said about us? Do we treat God and what he lays on our hearts, do we treat that more as a kind of a suggestion as opposed to his actual will for us as his servants? And I think I said this before, I'll say it again. Repetition's the mother of all learning, they say, in Semitic circles. And what is that? That we are servants and God is our king. And he is not our servant. He has shown us his service and what service is when he came on this earth. But let's remember who he is and let's remember who we are that we have been called to serve him. And we act as if God is there to serve us. And we forget our place. And so when God puts something on our heart, God who is king, God who is the king of kings, God who is the creator king over all of creation, this God deserves absolute obedience, love, and devotion from his people. And when we speak to him and call him Lord, it means, Lord, you are my master. What you say, I will do. Where you send, I will go. It is that kind of thing. And if Nehemiah had not been that way, he would have never made it to Jerusalem. He'd be back in Susa, in the king's palace, where he had it made actually, where the king loved him. And he was tasting the king's food and taking care of all the stuff for him. He had the life that any person would want if they wanted a life of luxury. And yet he left that to be obedient to his God who laid it upon his heart to do the Lord's work. And that should be the case for each and every one of us. I don't know where it's happened, but we, we have moved many of us in the church from acting as if what God tells us is, is a suggestion, as opposed to, this is my Lord who is telling me to do this. Jesus said it this way. I have to say this in my Old Testament classes. I have to bring Jesus in because they're not really sure if I bring up the law in the Old Testament. We, we can't trust it. That's Old Covenant. So let me bring... Jesus in when he says this, If you love me, keep my what? Commandments? Wait, wait, wait. I thought commandments is an Old Testament thing. No, 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 no. It is a Bible thing. It is a God thing who tells us that there are things that we as the people of God need to be about. And if we love him, what? We will keep his commandments. We will do what he has told us to do. That is love for the Savior. And Nehemiah had that love for the Lord. And then another quality we see with Nehemiah, and I kind of chuckle at this, but it's important, but the word I have is painstaking. Because when you read verses 6 through 7, 73, and you need to go home and read it, and read it out loud, okay? I think that would do. Just make your day to read all these names out loud. But um, it's funny, as an Old Testament professor, people come up to me and they'll say, hey, here's a Bible name. Um, how, how, do I, how should I pronounce it? And I'll say, tell me, let me hear you pronounce it. And they'll say it. And I'll say, you got it right there. You got it. That's it. <laughs> because the truth is, the Hebrew and the English don't match up so well anyhow. Um, Isaac is Yitzhak. I mean, it, it doesn't sound exactly the same. Um, Solomon, Sholomo. Sholomo. So they don't sound the same. Just so, just have at it, okay? It really doesn't matter. However you say it, you're saying it the way an English speaker would say it. I think about this, though. Warren Wiersbe made this statement. The important thing is not to count the people, but to realize that these people counted. In leaving Babylon, they did much more than put their names on a list. They laid their lives on the altar and risked everything to obey the Lord and restore the Jewish nation. They were pioneers of faith who trusted God to enable them to do the impossible. See, these names are just very difficult names for us. But in God's eyes, these names are precious because these are the names of people who were faithful to Pick up stakes and move back. You would think home to a great place, but we've already found that what they moved back to was a terrible place, terrible conditions. They were in danger all the time, but they did so because of their love for God and their desire to honor Him. And these names matter, they matter. And these people were sacrificially giving people. They gave their lives. They gave of their material goods that they had. We see this at the end of this list. They did all these things because they wanted to honor the Lord and glorify him as the people of God. These initial people that came They wanted to remove the reproach that had come on God's name attached to Jerusalem. And they wanted Zion to be a place once again that honored the name of their Lord. And so they did this. Let me close now with talking about priorities of Nehemiah's calling. I want to go through these more quickly. But one of the things that we see as a priority for him is the praise of God. You notice he does have the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. And we notice this um, quite often through this book that worshiping the Lord and making sure that there is corporate worship and that the people are involved in praising the Lord, that was a major concern of his and priority of his. The worship of the Lord and the singing and worship to him. I remember... In the second church I pastored, a man came up to me and he thought, I think he thought I would like this and be well receiving of what he said, and he found out I wasn't. But he said, You know what? The church here has all this music. I wish this is just nonsense for us to do this. We just need to, we just need to stop this and we just need to have the teaching of God's word. And I don't remember exactly word for word what I said, but I, I have the essence of it. That, that is the most ridiculous thing anyone could ever say. Because the people of God, we worship the Lord through the preaching and teaching of God's word, but we worship the Lord through our songs and through our music as we sing praises to him. The people of God are a singing people. We worship the Lord in song. It is something that we're going to be doing in heaven, if I understand it correctly. We are a worshiping people, and we worship through the word. There's nothing more worshipful than the reception of God's word and to take it in and and to be obedient to God's word and to grow in maturity in, in Christ. But let me tell you, we are a people who sing praises because we have something and someone to sing about. And this is a priority. Those who are godly people like Nehemiah was are a people that are ready to sing praises to the Lord. And Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Make your noise. Sing. They bring out cymbals. They bring out... All the instruments of their day, which many of them are different than what we use in the States today, but the point is not the actual instruments themselves, but they used what instruments they had and they gathered the people corporately to sing praises. If you remember with me, when the people came together and they worshiped the Lord at the dedication of the wall, they said that people for miles away could hear their singing. And that is the kind of singing that comes from a people who worships the Lord. So that was one of the things. Another thing, we see the principles of God. Not only the priorities of God, but the principles of God. And and what we see here is he assigned Nehemiah leaders to administrate the city. There is nothing more spiritual at times than to be practical about doing the work that God has called us to do. In fact, it is very unspiritual to check our minds out that God has given us and not use them for his glory to do the work that he has called us to do. And so he, 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 there were principles that were brought forth here of getting the right kind of leadership and having the kind of leadership that truly feared the Lord, that, that loved the Lord and were faithful to the Lord. And another uh, principle we have here is, again, He was ready to do what it took to protect the people and to look out for the people, to shepherd the people. And it's interesting, Psalm 23. He says that when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, he will fear no evil for thou art with me. What? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The the rod sometimes was used kind of put a little hit on the back end of some of the sheep to get them moving in the right direction. But for the most part, the rod was used to defend the sheep against predators. And that is what he understood. Another aspect of Nehemiah's ministry is the priority of the people of God. His concern was for the people of God. That's what mattered most to him because they were the people of God. I think about this. I love my dad. I I can say this. My wife knows this. There's no man on this earth I've ever loved any more than I loved my father. And I might even say I love him still even though he's gone to be with the Lord. And when he died... My uh, mom, we brought her to, to live with us. She had terrible health problems, a whole list of them. And uh, Ann uh, did um, dialysis with her five days a week for about three hours a day. And, um, and that was just one of the issues, her, her kidney um, disease. But she had uh, heart issues. She was a diabetic. She was blind in one eye. And uh, she had dementia which continued to get worse. And her dementia made her, some people get dementia it makes them nicer with my mom, it just made her meaner. And she was really rough to, to have. And I have to admit to you, there were times I was ready to just ship her out. And uh, Anne, much more, just much kinder than, than I am, would say, I'm not going to let you do that and we're going to take care of her. But it wasn't that she would do things to me so much as that she would do it to Ann, and I would see this. and it just really bothered me a great deal as she cared for her. But I say this to say this. What Ann reminded me of, and my son, who's a pastor now, reminded me of one day when I was at the brink of all of it, he said, our taking care of Mamaw, my son said, our taking care of Mamaw, is a picture of the gospel. And that's what we need to do. First thing that came through my mind is, who told my son these things anyhow? What's he doing? I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with this. I don't want to hear this. But the truth is, that is right. And those who love the Lord, and I say this, my love for my father, I loved my mom. But also what kept me going was my love for my father. To honor him, to take care of his bride. And that is what we're called to do, to care for the bride of Christ. And it is our love for the father, no matter how the bride might treat us or treat those that we love at times, that we are committed to the bride because we're committed to the father. And we're committed to his son, Jesus Christ. The people of God, a priority. Another priority, the purpose of God. What was the purpose of God? What is the purpose of God? Well, I believe there are lots of things we could say, but ultimately it is to glorify him, to lift him up, to make him known, to worship him as he alone really deserves. To have the purposes of God our purposes and to give ourselves to that first and foremost. Let me close then with some questions for you. Are you demonstrating the centrality of worshiping the Lord in your life today? Worship was a central concern and element among the people of God, and especially for Nehemiah, is it a central concern of yours to worship the Lord each and every day, to put it in the words of Paul to understand that we are living sacrifices being offered to God and we should offer them as holy and acceptable to him. This it's just a logical thing to do, you see, because of who he is. Demonstrating the centrality of worshiping the Lord in our lives every day. Let me ask you this question. How pliable are you with your life? Are you ready to do what God's called you to do if it's not a part of your initial plan? To do whatever he calls you to do. You're headed here. He says, no, I want you here. Then Lord, here I am, I'm going here then, I'm doing this. To be willing to do whatever God's called you to do. And to be understanding that he is the Lord of our lives. And how predictable are you in your obedience to the Lord? Nehemiah, what I love about Nehemiah, you could predict what Nehemiah was going to do once you knew what God wanted him to do. Because he was going to do what God wanted him to do. And there wasn't anything that was going to keep him from doing what God had called him to do. And that should be all of us, each and every son and daughter of the Lord, that we would be predictable in our obedience, that they would know what we're about to do if they know what God has called us to do. They will know that's what we're going to be doing, and we're not going to fall back from it. And finally, what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving for the next generation? I think about this list, and again, it's a long list, lots of numbers here of giving all the people that came. It's interesting, though, they just give the heads of these families, but the the numbers of their families, and they're not even mentioned, the names of really all the people on here um, that, that actually did this. But each and every one of these people who came, With, By the way, Zerubbabel was one of these people. Do you know who Zerubbabel was? He's on this list. Zerubbabel is also in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God was at work in the lives of these people, and they have left a legacy. They left a legacy for the people of Nehemiah's day, and they have left a legacy for our day to understand that God calls his people to serve him from generation to generation, And he has called us, this generation, to be faithful. And he's called us to be faithful. One of the things I love about being here with you all, I see lots of little people around here and here. These people matter to God as much as any people matter to God. And what we do as the people of God is not just about us, but it's about them as well. And about those who will come after them, should the Lord not return before that. And it is understanding that what we do is not just about now, but it's about the generation coming after us and the generation after that, and being faithful to them for the glory of God, because that is a part of being in the family of, of, of God. And so, what kind of spiritual legacy? Are you leaving the next generation? May we be found faithful. May we be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful. We look at Nehemiah, and I see a life that points us to Christ. Because just as Nehemiah was faithful, even more so, our Lord and Savior was faithful. He was faithful to deal with his enemies And you know what? He did what was necessary to keep us safe from the enemy by giving his very life for us and rising again so that we might come to newness and life in him. And so let us follow these great men and women of faith as they followed their Savior. Let us follow our Savior to his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, For your goodness, we thank you for your word that you have so kindly revealed yourself to us in it. Father, I pray that we would have these qualities and priorities that your servant had so many years ago. And that how he points us to Christ and his love for the church that we might have that same love for the church, your people, today. And that we might have these same commitments to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that not only have you through your Son called us to salvation, but you have called us to service to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that as your Holy Spirit works in us, that the fruit of your Spirit would be produced in us and that we would be found faithful servants unto the glory of Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and we'll.